Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for today, and we thank you for your goodness in our lives, Father. We thank you for Christ, and Lord, I just pray that, um, Lord, we wouldn't just have a Christian experience. We wouldn't just um, go through motions, go through um, actions, Lord, but that um, and we wouldn't just be hearers of the words, Lord, but we would really be changed. We'd be different, Lord. Lord, forgive us for the non-Christians that are out there that look at us, and they see hypocrisy and judgment and, and condemnation, Father God, and and, Lord, I'm the first to admit that is a banner that I will often pick up. And, Lord, I just pray that we wouldn't be that way, Lord, that we'd be um, genuine and true and real and right and noble. And that, Lord, you would um, make that evident in our lives today, Father God. We pray for this class. We ask that you would um, open our hearts, Lord. May the words I speak be glorifying and edifying to you, Father. May they be words that um, bring you praise and bring you honor, Father. And um, as the ladies listen, Father, I pray that they can... Listen well, and that um, it's not about handouts, it's not about technology, Lord, but it's about you. And um, so, Lord, we just thank you for what you're going to do. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Tom, will you close the door, please? Um, okay. Today, we are talking, the lat, we're in the very last verse of Ephesians, I mean, Ephesians, Titus 2, and... Um, and the Amplified is what we've talked about a lot. Bid the older women similarly to be reverent and devout in their deportment, as becomes those engaged in sacred service, not slanders or slaves to drink. So we've done all that. And if we just did that, I was talking to somebody on Thursday. We don't have any handouts, sorry. Okay. Um, uh, I went to lunch with somebody on Thursday, and um, I told him what I had been teaching. And she said, um, uh, is that... All that's in Titus? And I said, well, all that's in the first, it's in one verse of, of, of a chapter in Titus. I've just done the first, uh, even half of the verse. So we're going we're gonna to cover a whole lot of words today because it really, believe it or not, is one. And in, in the Amplified, it says, they are to give good counsel and be teachers of what is right and noble. Titus 2, 3. And it says, in the ESV, it says, they are to teach what is good. And... Donna, I, there's a bunch of scriptures I'm going to give. Can you share? Your, can you be our handouts for today? Yeah. And we share some of your paper if people want to take notes on that. Um, to teach what is good and the Amplified, they are to give good counsel and be teachers of what is right and what is noble. Okay, the power of the Greek language and um, is that that phrase, they are to give good counsel and be teachers of what is right and noble, that is one word in... Um, in Greek, we make it 12 words. They make it one word. And let me see if I can, K-A-L-O-S, no, K-O-L-O, D-I-D-A, S-K-O-L-O-S, O-S. And it's really made up of two words, uh, kalos and Didascalos, didascalos, didascalos. Um, meaning, this, the first half of the word is talking about good. This is talking about good and all that that is. And the second half of the word is teacher. Um, it's master, it's lord, it's someone who is, is able to do that. Um, Kalos is good, excellent in its nature and characteristics, and therefore well adapted to its end. Genuine, approved, precious, praiseworthy, and noble. Precious, praiseworthy, and noble. That remind, does that remind anybody of a verse from Philippians? Where, what are we only supposed to think about? Things that are good and true and righteous and, and praiseworthy and noble. 
And then the second, the second half of the word, didaskalios, didaskalios. And the New Testament's one who teaches concerning the things of God and the duties of man. So just teaching about the things of God. It's just someone who's a teacher. Not necessarily a proclaimer, not necessarily a prophesizer, but just a teacher of what's good and what's right. Um, and so the three points I want to talk about today, or the first point I want to talk about today, is number one, what is good, right, and noble? What is good, right, and noble? You know, our culture and our world today is different than it was 100 years ago. I mean, I mean, can we say an amen? And, and, and exponentially different this past 100 years than it was the previous generation, centuries before that. I watched last night A River run th- Runs Through It, which is a 19, early 1900s, 1990s movies um, about uh, Norman McLean, who was a, uh, uh, a professor at University of Chicago for many, many years. And just a great story about he and his brother and all this stuff. And it's not so much the point of the story as much as that he was born in 1910. He died in 1990 or 08, 92 or something like that. Anyways, he was born in the teens. He died in the 90s. I mean, just think of all that he experienced in, the, in just that short time span. You know, commercial, I mean, refrigeration, standard refrigeration, um, electricity, standardized electricity, um, vehicles, cars, uh, airplanes, all the transportation that's multiplied in, in that time frame, the technology of, of, um, of communications, you know, the, uh, everything from, you know, Morse code all the way up to, obviously, he very much alive during cell phones in the beginning of, um, internet, you know, predominance that are out there. Uh, emails, being able to communicate across the world. When he grew up in rural Montana in 1910, and who knows, was it even a state in 1910? I mean, you know, I mean, it was nothing. I mean, and, you know, there's not a, still not a whole lot out there then. But just the change that has happened in, in our moralities and what we say is good is different than what, what we say is quote-unquote good is different than what was said 100 years ago. But my, I want to prove, I want to kind of, prove today that if it's good and right and noble, it doesn't matter in circumstances or change. So there's three tests that I feel like you can tell. Is, uh, is something good? Is it right? Is it noble? So when you're teaching it, you can ask yourself these questions. Number one, it's consistent over time and situation. It's consistent over time and situation. So what is good in, in 1950 would be good in 2000, and it would have been good in 1850. Right and noble. So time doesn't matter, nor situation. And what I mean by that is um, if, for example, um, we were to give counsel to someone and um, it would change depending on, um, I, don't, I mean, I had an example for this, but I can't remember it now off the top of my head. But the circumstances don't affect what it is. It's going to be true. It's, it's always going to be right to tell the truth. It's always going to be right to tell the truth. I mean, that's not going to change regardless of circumstances or regardless of who you're talking to. It's always going to be noble and right um, to, um, to defer. And you're never going to make a mistake to defer. You're never, I mean, that's never going to mess up because you know your heart, you know. Um, I think a perfect example, and I think we're, we need to be some, again, words are such powerful things. Fashion is not good or bad. You know, because we'll say, you know, I, remember put this, I was about to put on another jacket today that was longer and I thought, you know, are, are those in now? I mean, is this jacket out of style, you know? And um, because, you know, there's good fashion now and there's bad fashion now, you know? But there's really not. 
because it's really not good. It's just different, and the choices are different. I remember going overseas, and, and um, how people do things in different cultures is different than how we do it. Is it good or bad? No. It's just different. It's not how I, might not be what I like, but it's just different, but it's not right on over. So it's got to be consistent over time and situation. Number two, it's got to be shameless. It's got to be, regardless of, regardless of who sees me giving this advice, I would still give the same advice. So there's no shame associated with the advice. And if Pastor Greg was standing here, or if, you know, the opposite of Pastor Greg, I mean, that'd be slanderous if I go say somebody, but, you know, the opposite of someone like that. If Jesus was in the room, I mean, it's a perfect example when I first came to Christ, and you, know, you can just imagine I'm pretty black and white. You know, when I first came to Christ, man, I cleaned out a bunch of stuff in my, in my apartment because, you know, if Jesus is with me and he's living with me, and if he were to show up one day, I wouldn't want that stuff in my place. Even at the point there was um, the first journal when I first came to Christ and I started journaling a lot, the very first journal I ever wrote in I threw away. And um, because it's just, it wasn't necessary. I mean, it was, I didn't need to remember that, but it was just, there was stuff in there. And not that I was um, ashamed that I was sharing with Christ, but it just wasn't necessary for other people, you know, to know about it. So it needs to be shameless. I need to not be, we shouldn't whisper and say, well, why don't you do this? Because if usually that's the case, then it's manipulation. It's not good or right or noble. Does that make sense in, in shamelessness? And number three, it needs to be selfless. It needs to be selfless. I'm going to give this counsel, and it really is not going to benefit me at all. I mean, that's part of what this is meant to be. And in some ways, it's almost meekness. We as women, and especially those of us who have the gift of preaching, um, we can manipulate. It can be for, I mean, I always talk about it all the time, Hitler had the gift of preaching. He used it for evil. He didn't use it for good. You know? And if we can use those same kind of gifts, so in that same way, we need to be meek in that and be selfless and our counsel and not think about, okay, well, if I tell this to my girlfriend to do this and she's going to get mad at this girlfriend or that girlfriend's going to get mad and then they're not going to be friends anymore so she'll always be my best friend. I mean, we, that's kind of crazy. I mean, you might not think that far ahead, but sometimes when we play the tape all the way, we need to think about what, you know, what's the very best thing for this. With dealing with girls at Lifehouse and, um, you know, girls that make the decision to place for adoption, we often hear grandparents or the mothers of the, the pregnant woman they're giving counsel, well, oh, it's my grandbaby. You know, but it's like, I know, but you need to give selfless counsel here. Yes, it would be very difficult for her to choose to place this baby for adoption. And yes, you would look, there would be a loss and a grief for you. But you need to understand the very, very best thing for this child. Because, you know, you're living on the street. She's living on the street. You know? I mean, let's just get the whole picture here. The selfless thing here is to die to self and give the good counsel. So we need to make sure that, number one, it's consistent over time and situation. We would share it with anybody and that we would be selfless in that. And then the fourth one, and I think it's not necessarily a point, but we need to understand what is your plumb line. Does anybody, does anybody know what a plumb line is? Um, hey, Meg. A plumb line is, I don't even know if they still use it today, they probably use laser beams. But it's a chalked string that stretches out, and they'll, we don't have any handout pegs, so. You know, they, and, they, and to create it, make sure they've got a straight line, they'll tack it, they'll drop the needle, I mean, they'll drop, there's a metal, uh, mag, uh, a weight at the end, and drop it, and then they'll pop the line. And that's the plumb line. That's, everything goes back to that plumb line. This is where we're going to start. And so from here on out, if we keep lining up with this, then we're okay. If we keep lining up with this, we're gonna, we can keep going straight along, along the path. And you might have to occasionally draw more plumb lines, because even as hard as you try, 
you will have to come sometimes come back and readjust what your plumb line is. In our culture today, what is the plumb line that we so often use? I mean, it's whatever is the latest thing. We're going to, you know, the TV, the media, the internet, the movies. You know, what was the plumb line for R-rated movies in the, you know, 1980s was, is now the plumb line for PG-13 movies. What was the plumb line for R-rated, I mean, X-rated movies in, you know, whatever, 1990s, 1980s? Man, today, those are R-rated movies. A perfect example is the number one comedy that got the Oscar was Hangover. I didn't see it. And also this other one that's, that's out, and it's probably the same way, it's complicated. And it's like with Meryl Streep, and it probably is hysterical. I didn't see it. I didn't see it because I knew that it would just, this is, it's not going to be very edifying to me, you know, and I'd probably laugh at things that Christ died on the cross for in that. I very rarely go to R-rated movies, simply because it's just the standard I make. It's just the standard I make. But I heard amazing things about the book of Eli. And it's R-rated for the violence, and um, not that in very little language. Well, if you, I mean, they said the F word. It's like that's the only adjective they know. I'm like, come on, can you be creative? You know, can we be a little more creative here? But um, but the violence is a big part of it. But my goodness gracious, I cried at the end of the movie. It is an excellent movie. I wish they'd take all the cussing out, but it's it's an excellent movie. It's a very um, Plugged in online said that it's the most um, um, Christian movie since The Passion of the Christ that's come out. And so it's called The Book of Eli. Um, but some of the violence in The Book of Eli would have not been allowed R-rated today than it was 20 years ago. So we need to have a plumb line. And you know what the plumb line is? It's the Bible. This has got to be the plumb line. And if you want to know, I mean, the Proverbs is a great place to just kind of go and say, okay, what are some basic Maxim, what are basic standards? What are basic ways that we need to just live life? And, um, and go back and, and, and look at those. Um, the Proverbs will flat out tell you. There's 31 Proverbs of the day. And I'm telling you this. I'll believe this until the day I die. Pastor Greg, I think almost since the beginning of coming to know Christ, his early salvation, 16, 17 years old, he began reading a chapter of Proverbs a day. I mean, you can read it 12 times a year. Because you read one a day, there's 31, you might have to double up, but pretty much you're hitting them 12 times. And I believe he's wise today. His wisdom is so much greater than his 38, 39 years because of the wisdom that's in the book of Proverbs. And it, for me personally, it's a great place for me to go for on a steady basis, get a steady diet of the book of Proverbs and because um, there's great wisdom. And that's what's got to be our plumb line because we are teaching. You know, the title of the lesson was, What's the Plumb Line of Your Teaching? What's the plumb line, of your, plumb line of your teaching? Because every day, everywhere we go, we are teaching. We are teaching. So what's our plumb line going to be? It's got to be the Bible, and you've got to know the Bible to do that. And the only way you can do that is just get in it and just start. A friend of mine said, you know, how do you learn how to pray? Just start praying. Just start praying. There's no formula. You know, just start praying. You want to get in the Word? Start playing the Word. And, you know, you know me, I like play the word in the house. Um, I think I, I don't have any more. It's a, it was a VHS. I played it for years, and, and I want to go get, I think I want to get on the DVD, but the book of Matthew, I think I've talked about it in here. The book of Matthew on DVD, it's actually the dramatized version of the book of Matthew, and the script is literally the word of the Bible. I mean, it's just, there's no additional word spoken except Matthew, and um, it's excellent. 
And I just play that in the background, just have it getting ready. I did that for years, getting ready in the morning. So, so number one, we got to figure out what's good, right, and noble. And we know it's good, right, and noble because it's, time, it's consistent over time and situation. It's shameless, it's selfless, and then it can line up with the plumb line of the Bible. And that's got to be our plumb line in our life. And we need to understand, we need to keep going back and double check. And you know, like I shared last week about the drinking, man, I mean, I had to go back to the plumb line of what he taught me and what he shared with me for me. Number two, all women are called to be teachers. All women are called to be teachers. That's what it says in there. Older women teach younger women. And if you're alive, there's somebody younger than you. But are we forbidden to be preachers? But are we forbidden to be preachers? We're going to spend most of the lesson on this topic right here. Because if this is our plumb line, then those kind of answers have got to be, we've got to look here for our answers of what those things are. Because this is where it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Everybody would go there. 1 Corinthians right after Romans. Gospel, Acts, Romans. 1 Corinthians 14, 34. Actually, it's going to be verses 34 and 35 is what we're going to look at. What chapter? Uh, chapter 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, um, verses 34 and 35. The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it's improper for a woman to speak in church. Okay, so how fun is that verse? And once again, it's so fun to go through the, you know, the verse by verse, because you've got to hit these things. Now, I'm going to give you, this is Becky's opinion, and I think I've got some supporting opinion on this um, scripturally, and I'll share that with us. Um, do I think this means that I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing right here? No. Does that ever mean that someone should, that Beth on Tuesday night shouldn't do what she does on Tuesday night? No. I don't think that says that in here in any way, in any way. Um, a big part of what this is talking about, back up to verse 33, it says, for, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should not. So he's saying, look, there's confusion that's going on in the churches. Because God's not an author of confusion. But there's confusion going on, and this is how it's going on. The women are speaking out. They're yelling, you know, they were separated. The men were on one side of the room. The women were on the other side of the room. Women were screaming out over to their husbands, asking them questions. You know, there was chaos. If you ever, who's ever been to a political meeting? I don't care if it's Democrat or Republican. They are the worst you go to any hearing, at the, no wonder it takes them so long to do anything. Nobody listens to anybody. Ever go and sit in the gallery at the, the House or the Senate? I mean, that's kind of what it is. They need this. There's no order. It's not just the men and the women. But they're yelling back and forth at each other. So I think a big part of what they're saying is, look, women, you need to settle down. You know, be quiet. You got questions, talk to your husband when you get home. Because he needs to be your spiritual covering. Okay? I think it's also interesting that just a few verses before, in verse 28, 29, it says, Let two or three prophets speak. Let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. So be quiet. Let the others do. But prophets can obviously still speak. Let's flip over to, verse, to chapter 11, just two chapters back. And this is why I think it's not saying women should never speak in church. It's talking about order. Chapter 11, verse 5 says this. 
But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it's the same as if her head were shaven. I'm not, I don't know why you have to shave heads and cover your head and all that stuff. The point is, he's saying the very, very same author is sitting here and saying women will prophesize. And it's saying if one prophesies or two, it doesn't say if just a man or just a woman prophesies three chapters later. So I think that's very important. Does that make sense, what I'm saying on that? So that it is saying that women will speak in church because they will prophesize. Because prophesize is a proclamation, pro- proclamation of truth before other people. So is that basically the same as preaching when they prophesize, or is that part of preaching? I see that a little bit of as both. My big question, my thing comes into, I don't think women could be pastors. That is where it comes into. Not the head of the church, and this is, I mean, I, but can we teach? Can we preach? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. My thing is, and this goes into, um, um, did I even put it in this? Because there was another verse in Timothy. And Timothy, Paul says, about women having authority over men, um, that he does not allow women to have authority over, over, over men. And I think that goes back to Genesis 3.16, is that the women, the, men, the women will want to lord over the men. They will want to please and just, they, their heart's desire is to please their man. And the, the women will lord that, the, the women want to please the men. The men will lord that over them and control and manipulate them. So, so often when a woman is in authority, if they don't have a right relationship with whoever man is in authority, she'll do whatever it takes to please that man. The man will then manipulate the situation for her, I mean, to, to get his way. Okay? You know, this is such a rib issue. You know, do I think that, you know, uh, Victoria Osteen is, you know, going straight to hell and none of the ministry is valid because, the, you know, pastors Victoria or Joel and Victoria Osteen? Do, no, I don't think that. This is for me. This, I mean, this is, I mean, this is what God's speaking to me. And um, I think we need to be, um, and again, if this is our plumb line, the, this is the very, 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 very best. Catherine Kuhlman, you might not necessarily agree with what she is. She was very early in the charismatic movement, um, was very involved in the Uzer Street min- uh, uh, ministry that happened in California in the 20s, 30s, 40s, somewhere around that time that just really launched the charismatic movement. She said, if a man would do it, I'd step down any minute. But men weren't stepping up in that situation, so she had to do it. She said in a minute, I would step up in a minute. I personally have struggled with being the executive director of LifeHouse and having men to report to me. Because I know that as a woman, my emotions get involved in a way that just women, that, that men, it div- it's different. And sometimes it's good that the emotions get involved in it. I mean, that adds to it, too. I'm not saying that's ever awful, you know. But I think on the same side, man, we just, what's the very, very best? What's the very, very, very best? And I think we look at that, that's really going to be very, the very, very best. Here's interesting. First Timothy, oh, I did have this quoted. First Timothy 2, 11 and 12. Let a woman learn quietly with all submiss- submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Verse, First Peter 3, 1, and we'll talk more about this um, in a couple of weeks. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may win over without a word by the conduct of their wives. You know, I remember I shared that we are the pinnacle of creation. You know, and I think women are pretty awesome. I do. You know, we're unique and wonderful and fantastic. But we as women have a, 
we need the covering. And that's the heart, I think, between covering your head when you pray or when you prophesy. I think that's what it is. If you've got a question, go to your husband. He's your covering. I think in this situation, it's like, you know, learn submissively, submit to the authority. That's come underneath their mission. Submission is what it comes from. And I think this is profound. If, if you, let me ask you this. If you make a vow, anybody that studied the Bible long enough, do you think if you ever made a vow that you can ever get out of that vow? I mean, no, I mean, I mean, we just hear, it's, you know, Ecclesiastes says it's better to not make a vow than to make a vow and break it. I mean, God is serious about vows. When you make a promise, a verbal commitment, to, hey, I'm going to do something, man, you better do it. And you really, and especially in the Old Testament times, you couldn't get out of it. It didn't matter. Numbers, Numbers chapter 30. Why don't you all turn there? Numbers, you know, it's next to Leviticus, it's the next graveyard of read the Bible through in a year plans. Numbers 30, right after Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers 30 says this, and I'm going to read the whole chapter because I think it's significant. Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes of the people of Israel, saying, this is what the Lord has commanded. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds of his mouth. So there we go. Man makes a vow. It's done. you got to stick to it. Verse 3. If a woman makes a vow to the Lord and binds herself by a pledge, while within her father's house, in her youth, and her father hears of her vow and of her pledge by which she has bound herself and says nothing to her, then all her vows shall stand. And every pledge by which she has bound herself shall stand. But if her father opposes her on the day that he hears of it, no vow of hers, no pledge by which she has bound herself shall stand. And the Lord will forgive her because her father has opposed her. So here's what happens. A young girl, probably at this age because they married so young, I mean 10, 12, 11, 13, I don't know what kind of vows they make, you know, but we all made vows when we were kids, right? She makes a vow. I swear to the Lord, I'm going to give you my Barbie set if you will give me your, you know, trinkets. Okay? She makes a vow. The father, and some translations even talk about being within just a day. He has to very quickly. The father hears of the vow. The father goes to the girl. Honey, that was a bad vow. That was a rash vow. And the Amplified, it talks about that they've made a foolish vow with their mouth. That's a rash vow. You, know, that, you do not have to hold to that vow. And he obviously would probably go to whoever the other contract, whoever the other person is in this vow, and say, hey, look, it was a bad vow. I'm releasing it. If the father doesn't say anything, then it's free to go. Women need that covering. That's the heart of what I'm talking about. This is all about the safety of the covering when we submit and walk underneath it. Um, verse 6 says, um, if she marries a husband while under her vows or any thoughtless utterance of her lips by which she's bound herself, just a thoughtless utterance of our lips. Who's made thoughtless utterances of their lips that were vows? <laughs> and her husband hears of it and says nothing to her on the day. Oh, my gosh. How many foolish vows do we get into? And those of us that have been married or those of us that are married, and we make a foolish vow, and our husband, for whatever reason, doesn't say, oh, honey, bam, bad vow. Let's get out. Let's fix this. Let's go back. Bad vow. But so often they're either passive or we've ticked them off so much that they're just like, well, fine. 
you know, go on with your bad self. So they don't say anything. And then her vow's got to stand. And her pledges which she's bound herself shall stand. But if on the day that her husband comes to hear of it, he opposes her, that he makes void her vow that was on her and the thoughtless utterance of her lips by which she bound herself, and the Lord will forgive her. She's released from it, and the Lord was not going to hold her against her. But any vow, interesting, listen to this, verse 9. But any vow of a widow or of a divorced woman, anything by which she's bound herself, shall stand against her. You know why? Because there's nothing between God and, and this woman as a divorced woman or as a widow. She's totally, there's nobody else that can come in and cover her. That's why when, in, when um, Jesus in, in Matthew 19, 18, when he talks about, you know, was it right to divorce or not? And in that verse, it, they say, well, well, Moses let us divorce. And he said, because of the hardness of your heart. You had to release this divorced woman because you weren't taking care of her. Number one, you weren't taking care of her, so no one else could take care of her. Divorce her so somebody else could come in and marry her and take care of her because a, a single woman un, wandering out there by herself is, has no covering. We need the covering. And I believe that's true today. And if she vowed on her husband's house or bound herself by a pledge with an oath, and her husband heard of it and said nothing to her and did not oppose her, then all her vows shall stand, and every pledge by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband makes them null and void on the day that he hears them, then whatever proceeds out of her lips concerning her vows or concerning her pledge of herself shall not stand. Her husband has made them vowed, void, and the Lord will forgive her. So, I think that the reason why, I mean, part of this whole teaching and part of what it's saying to me in 1 Corinthians 13 is that women, you need covering. You need protection. Because we can be foolish. And it's for our safety that we walk underneath that authority. And that's why, as a, as a single woman, I'm mindful of what my father says, because I've never been married. I'm mindful of what my father says. I'm mindful of what my pastor says. He is my covering. As long as I'm employed at LifeHouse, my, spirit, my, my, um, my board of directors is my covering. And I will submit to them. And they can get me out of my stuff if I start getting in a mess of stuff. And so for those that are single, those that are divorced, man, we need to look for opportunities. What covering do we come underneath? I mean, I know friends that, um, I mean, a perfect example of this was my friend George Robinson, her husband, and his, and his wife, Catherine, were overseas, and they found out as missionaries, living his dream in Pakistan, living among the people, and, I mean, it was just perfect. And they found out that her, Catherine's mother had breast cancer. And um, within 48 hours, they were packed and on a plane to come home. Catherine's an only child. Catherine's, his par her parents are divorced. Catherine's mother was an only child, and the parents were dead. There was nobody to take. And so George gave up his dream, doing what he was doing, came home, and they uh, ended up taking care of Susan for eight years, living in the home, and George's, George took care of him. And, and, um, she said, and said it till the very end of her death, that George was her Boaz. George came in and took care of her and protected her and was, her, was their kinsman redeemer and took care of her, came underneath that covering. So sons-in-laws can play that role, and we need to be mindful of who those are because if we as women, we need covering, girls. We need it. You know, um, there was a big to-do, <laughs> I don't know what year it was, one year of passion, and that, um, you know, which is college-age kids, you know, go in here, some, you know, fill a stadium and auditorium and right around Christmas time. And, and there was a movement by some 
in the very conservative bent of the even our own personal denomination and the Baptist denomination that when Beth Moore got up, the guy stood up and walked out. And um, and it it is, um, I mean, whatever. I mean, I we can find other ways to to challenge um, when we disagree with something. But I find it very interesting because you know what Beth will say? Don't talk to me about it. Talk to my husband. Talk to Louis Giglio. They are my authority. You got a problem with what I teach? Go talk to my husband and go talk to my to Louis Giglio because they are my spiritual authority. It's not me. It's not me you have a problem with because there's a covering on that. And I think Beth is very true, and she'll tell you. I mean, she she'd rather there not be any men in the things. And there's times where I mean, she has the men to sleep, sit in the balcony. And there are times when she was doing Esther that she asked no men to come, to not be a part of there. And it's so you know. And I think that's that's the key to this. Because my thought, and going the rest back, going back to Titus two, if the younger, if the older woman would teach the younger women, if we would just do that, man, the word of God's not going to be reviled, discredited, or rebuked. It, you know, I just got enough to deal with just trying to teach the younger women in my life. I don't need to worry about any of the men in my life. You know. And they, men will not listen as well to a woman as they do to a man. It's just the tr- It's just the way we're created. And you know what? We don't either. You know, if pastor would get up and say, look, you need to submit to your husband. You know, that's going to come off a little different than, you know, seeing a strong-willed woman come up and say, you know, the Bible says. It stinks, it's hard, but here are some things you can do. Here are the benefits, the, pre- the safety, the protection. We come in on it. So can women teach in church? Yes, I believe they can. Can they preach in church? Yes, I believe they can. I think they need to first teach the younger women. They need to do it at home. And then, as they move up from your home, then you teach the other one. Can they pastor churches? No. It becomes a mess because we're too emotional. Can they co-pastor with husbands? I don't know. That's getting into it. If I have a husband, I'll deal with that at that point, whatever. <laughs> so, how fun was that? <laughs> so, very interesting. That Numbers 30 chapter is very interesting chapter, talking about a woman being released from their vows. Because vows are so, you know... Important to God. The words we speak and the promises we make. Praise the Lord because the promises he makes to us and the words he speaks to us are just as valid and just as good. Very interesting that we can get out of it if our authority thinks that, 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 um, that it, was, it was rash or foolish. So, Peggy, you, you got your you in thought back oh, there? I'm just thinking of some promises. Mm. <laughs> and I'm thinking, how do I get out of that one? <laughs> yeah, right. But I'm thinking New Testament. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. But the principles of the Old Testament are still true. The covenant wasn't removed, it was fulfilled. He still feels the same about the Sabbath, fornication, and vows. You know, and that is, you know, that's, that's where the kicker is in all this stuff. So, okay. Third point, I think, or whatever point, Ron, this is the last point. Your actions will speak louder than your words. That's why I think at the beginning of this, of this verse, it talks about we should be reverent and devout in our deportment, or our behavior. It's become those that are involved in sacred service. Because we're going to do the most teaching by our actions. We will do the most teaching by our actions. Um, on Friday morning, lovely day. I was sitting outside the main post office about to do an interview. Well, I just done a radio interview and I was, I don't know why I didn't leave immediately. Oh, I mailed something and then I was fiddling on my, on my phone, believe it or not. Facebook or Twitter, thanks, Alan. And um, 
I mean, it was about a year and a half ago. I busted Ellen because I'm like, why are you on Facebook all the time or whatever? And so and now I'm, more, I'm on it more than she is. But I'm sitting there. Windows were down. It was gorgeous, gorgeous day. And I noticed that, have you ever been to the main post office? You know, there's some drive-up, drop-off boxes right there. And I was sitting in the parking lot on the side. And the drive-up boxes were, the line was backing up. I mean, why does the line back up? You know, throw your mail and you go. And look over there. And literally, I turned my, I started timing it on my clock, on my, on my phone. She was there for five to six minutes, unloading the entire back seat of her car, had mail in it. And she filled up an entire box and then went to the other box. Now, it was 10 o'clock in the morning. You're at the main post office. It's one of the rare post offices that they really are nice to you there. There's little guys on the front. You go to the counter and you say, Hey, can you bring a bin out here? Let me throw all the stuff in the back of my car. She spent five minutes. People had to go around her and go to the other thing for that. I, I'm just saying, you know, I'm just thinking somebody just didn't teach her how to be nice. That's my thought. I mean, I just, I really want to just go over there and say, honey. I mean, because the next people that come up, they unload those like every two hours. But, you know, the boxes are full and all that stuff. I'm like, her action was speaking so much to me. So much, it's all selfish. It's about me, and this is easier for me, and I don't have bins to put these in. And all the, they all had different, like she would have bundles of like 20, and they'd have a rubber band in it. So she'd take the rubber band off, put them in the box. Take the rubber band off, put them in the box. I'm like, even that, leave the rubber band on it, because it's easier for, the, for them to unload it out of the bin. I mean, her actions spoke so much more than her words. I mean, I could have, we could give a list of probably things that probably go on in our life and challenges and difficulties in our life. And, you know, she got back in her car and drove off. It took everything in me <laughs> to not go say something. It did, and it was a kind of a looked like a government issue car or something like that too. I mean, so it was an unmarked car. I think if there is a KSB sticker on it, I am. I'm gonna go say something to her. <laughs> I would have been the person that went and said something. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I probably I, it it would have had been something sweet, like something like, "Hey, why don't I go get you a bin?" And you could dump all these things in. I didn't come to me, so I didn't do it. So that's not the one that I <laughs> that I said that. Matthew Henry, who I um, who I reference a lot um, in the commentaries, he said this about this verse: Those whose actions and behavior become holiness are, are thereby teachers of good things. Just by your very actions, you're going to be teachers of good things when it's holy, when it's right. And besides this, they may and should also teach by doctrinal instruction at home. Proverbs 31, 1 and 26. You know, Proverbs 31, woman, you know where that teaching came from? King Lemuel's mother. You know, we so often say, well, who wrote it? You know, who's Proverbs 31? It's really a woman. Taught it to her son at home. And said, look, this is, this is what a godly woman looks like. This is what a righteous woman looks like. The mothers. You know, moms, what are you teaching your boys? Teachers of good things as opposed to teachers of things that are corrupt. Or what is trifling and vain, of no good use, or tendency, old wives' fables or superstitions, sayings and observations. In opposition to these, their business, and they may be called on it to do it, are to be teachers of good things. Or to be teachers of good things. What is right, what is noble, what is pure, what is praiseworthy, what's beautiful, what's lovely. Wonderful things like that is what we're supposed to do. And we need to teach those first to the younger women in our life. And we're going to talk next week, we're going to start getting into what are some of those things we teach to younger women and how we need to go about doing that? A couple of takeaways for you guys. Number one, who are you teaching? Let's be ever mindful. Who are we teaching? Who are those folks in our lives that we're pouring into and we're investing? 
And we're all busy and we're all got stuff going on, but who are we teaching? And who do we choose to invest in our lives on? This one spoke to me because I think this is true for me, some areas of my life. What do you need to learn more about so that you can teach those around you? You know, so what are some things that you need to be better at so that when you, you can continue to teaching those that are around you and to be more disciplined in that? <laughs> and then finally, do you need to do more being rather than saying? Do you need to be more being rather than saying? I've probably quoted it every week here, but my favorite verse is, even a fool when he keeps his mouth shut seems wise. <laughs> and um, that's a great proverb. That's a great proverb. Even a fool, when he keeps his mouth shut, will be wise. And sometimes we just need our actions. Let's get our actions in line. And people will start saying, hey, what's different about you? What's different about you? How do you do that? What did that happen? And people will see that. Good, bad, or indifferent. So, comments, questions? I'll email this out, the handout. I mean, just so you guys have... No, I was just, I thought everybody, see, everybody ended up having paper, so we're okay. That's what I was, I was doing on that. Do you want me, do you want me to copy them for you? Do you remember That'd be great. Good. Well, I got one question. Yeah. We make promises. Right. And we don't always keep them. Right. We are forgiven for the promises. Right. <laughs> Aren't we? Of course we're forgiven. I mean, because I have one that really bugs me because of my husband. You know? Right. And I always wonder about that. I we're forgiven, but there's it. consequences. And can we do anything to make restitution? Can we go back and make it right? I mean, that's, a, I mean, that's huge. Going and making it right is so important. But like divorces, I mean, that's a vow that we take. Yes. And we get a divorce, and that's broken. And when we ask for forgiveness, we may have thought we were having to do what we needed to do to sure. preserve ourselves sure. and the rest of our family. So are we forgiven for divorces? Yes, of course. Are marrying a divorced person? Yes. But there's consequences to all the things. Yes. The blood is sufficient. The blood is sufficient. The main thing, though, is just to ask them. You gotta ask for the forgiveness and then and be repentant in that forgiveness. Not give excuses. And acknowledge I am a sinner. I mean that's the thing. It was wrong. I should have done more, or stayed more, or did more, or left, or I mean, whatever. I mean that that's where it comes down to. Because and it might go back to the beginning, and I'm not and every situation is different. And it might go back to the very beginning. The sin, the main sin, was I made a vow. And I was wrong. I should have never married this man. And there was stop signs all along the way, Lord, that I ran through. Oh, my goodness. You know, that's the thing. I mean, that's where we need to go back. Go way back. Go way back here and say, man, I, I, man, I ran through some stop signs. I should have known. But I want, you know, what is it? Um, a friend of mine says, we as girls, we just want to have weddings. We don't care about having marriages. You know? I mean, so, you know, you get it wrapped up in all that stuff. Go back. Make it right as much as possible. As much as possible. You know? And there's some things that, because of time and circumstances, we might not ever be able to make fully right. But make it right. But are we forgiven? Yes, we're forgiven. But there are consequences. I mean, I think the big, this is the example that I always talk about. Is that if I was lost... Or even if I was, I mean, now, if I went out tonight, got drunk as a skunk, 
you know, wandered downtown by the heights, wandered across the railroad tracks, fell down, fell asleep, train comes along, whoosh, cuts my legs off, you know, wake up the next morning, obviously rather repetitive, you know, <laughs> in the hospital, you know, with bandages on the end of my knees. Am I going to be repentive and fully forgiven for that sin of drunkenness? Yes. Are my legs going to grow back? No. Physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, there are always consequences for obedience and for disobedience. And so we, the thing is that we so often, if we physically don't see it, we often don't try and deal with it. But every single sin we commit, there are consequences in our soul, in our mind, in our spirit, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And we need to go back and make that right. Make it right. And, you know... That make, I mean, does that make sense? And there's peace in your soul that comes from that. And it's like, man, I blew it, but, you know. But here we go. Press on. Press in. You know, and go from there. I feel so strongly about marriage. Marriage. The covenant of marriage. And the purpose of why God created marriage. I don't date divorced men. And I will not marry a divorced man. That's what God's put on my life and what he's called me to do. Because I think there's enough evidence. You can go either way, but there's enough evidence that I can say it's too gray of an area that I'm going to ruin any post-marriage rewards that I might get from the Lord just so I can be married with this man. I mean, that, and that's me. Consequences of choices. Consequences of choices. And there's, I have the other choices that I have to deal with that are my choices that come from there. So, forgiven? Of course. The blood is more than sufficient. Forgiven before it was even done. Forgiven even before you repented of it. Forgiven. Forgiven. The blood was sufficient. Let me pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Lord, I thank you that um, you um, work things in us, Lord, and that you aren't done with us. And that, Lord, you're not finished with us. And we're not um, who we are, but we're not who we were. And, um, and Lord, we're becoming what you want us to be and more Christ-like. I pray for these ladies, Lord. I pray that you would continue to show them the plumb line that you would have them to, to walk the path that you would have them walk through, Father. Reveal to them your truth in amazing and profound ways as they seek you on a daily basis, as they seek your word, as they seek your face, Father God. We thank you for your goodness. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. And then lunch today at Cafe Express, North Post Oak. Who, who's going to be able to come? Anybody? Good? Good. Okay. Peg, what you, time is it? Right after 11 o'clock, 1045, 11. Oh, fun. I know. That's worth it. So, um, Donna, do you know where it is? If you just, you know where it is. If you just go out here, um, post Oak, you know, just go to the feeder and turn right. Stay on the feeder, go over Memorial, and it's right there on your right at the Uptown Park. In the Uptown Park. You don't have to get on the feeder. You don't have to get on the feeder. Just stay totally on the feeder. It's past Woodway. I'm sorry. Memorial, past Woodway, and it's immediately on the right. I will try to find it. <laughs> but you've got my number it's if you really if you have any questions. It's not close by the theater over there. No, 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 no. Cafe Adobe Woodway. No, Cafe Express. Oh, Cafe Express is easier. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to go around at all. Yeah. I love it. Cross Woodway, and it's on. It's on the feeder. See you later. See you, dear. Uh, Thanks for coming. Where's Carol? Is, is she She's okay? still in Charleston. Oh, Thanks, okay. Jennifer. You too, dear. Thanks for coming. That's all right.